Well, I want to thank uh, Dr. Smith for the invitation. And uh, President Mark, it's wonderful to be here, and faculty and students. It's a true honor for me. I uh, first spoke at a college chapel in, um, well, when I was in my third year of uh, college, and I was extremely nervous that day. And so after, you know, 36 years of ministry, I'm still extremely nervous today. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's really, really incredible to be here, and I've given a lot of thought to it um, over the months and really prayed about uh, just what, what I would say uh, to a group of students who are, are in the Word every day. Um, you're learning from the best and studying the Word of God, theology. You're immersed in teaching and Christian, Christian discipleship. So what could I say today that would add to this? It was in November that I had the opportunity to uh, view a video clip that I had seen or heard of before but never really focused on. And it really impressed me. It really impacted me. And... It impacted me in a way that was more than just a, a visceral uh, impact in that it, it was hard to, um, hard to look at, hard to watch, but then it began to impress me in a spiritual way. So I'd like to relate that to you, and, and it sort of developed from there. And I, I was saying to one of the guys this morning that in some ways, I'd like to show you the video. Um, the video is a redramatization of First World War. And the video begins with uh, the men in the trench and then takes you through the next basically three minutes from the time they leave the trench, the whistle blows, till they overcome um, a German. Um, Machine nest, machine gun nest. But, but in the um, um, video, it's so graphic and there's so much violence, I just didn't feel it was appropriate to watch here. And I'm going to attempt to relate some of it to you, but it certainly lacks comparison to actually visualizing it. And again, it was a redramatization. But in the trench, you see these young men. And some of them are, have had some battle experience, but most of them have come from Canada or Britain or somewhere else in the Commonwealth, and they're, they're fresh. They're, they're your age, some of them younger than your age. Some of them have lied about their age, and they're 16, 15, standing in the trench, and they had eyes when they arrived, their thought was that they were joining a cause, that they were going to make a difference in Europe, uh, that it would be, um, the propaganda made it sound like it was just going to be an amazing adventure. And now after months of being in a trench with rats running around and uh, sewer water at their feet and bombings going off and freezing and just experiencing the worst of conditions, never yet experiencing battle. They're being told to fix their bayonets, that they're going 
over the top. The term going over the top, you may have heard of it. Man, that's over the top. Comes from this concept that when the whistle blew, they would leave the safety of the trench and they would climb up over the top and cross no man's land, which was made up of bomb holes, uh, shell holes, um, scorched earth with... Uh, um, trying to think the barbed wire, sharp barbed wire that was designed to slow their progress down, anything to slow them down in their advance so that while they were advancing, the machine guns would cut them down. Sometimes they faced uh, chemical warfare as they topped the trench. So you can imagine what's going on in their mind. They've been in the trench, perhaps preparing for this for years, and suddenly, and that word suddenly is very important, suddenly they're thrust out into battle. As the video takes place, the whistle blows. Some of them are already throwing up in the trench. Some of them are shaking. Some of them have smiles on their face like, this is no problem, this is a cakewalk, I'm ready to go. Some of them are tough. Some of them are smoking. Some of them are just blank. The whistle blows and off they go. As they hit the top, even before one of them even gets his shoulders above the top, he's shot through the forehead. He falls back. Others slunch forward as they get to the top, cut down by the machine. They get to the top, and many of their buddies are dying. And there's no going back. There's only going forward. They've been told, if you fall back, you will be prosecuted and court-martialed. You have to go forward. You have to take this land. And they start running. And as they run, shells go off. Mortar shells go off. One man loses his leg. Another man... His face is blowing and he goes blind and struggles. Other people are falling and yet the group still keeps moving forward and they go until then one man shot in the shoulder but he keeps going. It's so graphic and so violent of the hundreds that pour out of the trench maybe only a few dozen will make it. Eventually, eventually they overtake the enemy's machine gun nest and and have some sort of victory. But it's a hollow victory for many of them will have lost. And we know from First World War, if any of you uh, have followed it at all, the next day, the generals may decide that that land has to be given back. And so all of this effort, all of this cost, all of this dying, all of this ruining, all of this terror, for what? But what I was struck with was how, how do you get a group of young men who have everything to live for, their whole life in front of them, to lay their life down, to go over the top for king and country? How do you get them to the point where they're willing to lay their lives down for the cause and such an empty cause? I was really struck by it. And I felt that I would like to relate it to you today from Jesus' perspective in pulling together these 12 apostles and the others who would follow him and, and bring them to a belief that they were going to initiate a kingdom on earth, that they were going to initiate the kingdom of God, that they would leave 
all of their livelihoods, their families, the status quo, everything they understood as the norm, and follow this person who many were denying had any, any religious ability. Some were calling him demonic. And yet they were so motivated by Jesus that they were willing to leave everything they had and follow him. But where we get into the story, Jesus has already been resurrected. They've already gone through the drama of Jesus Christ dying, which was total left turn for them. They never saw that coming at all. And Jesus dies, and they're, they go through the trauma of losing their leader, only to find him resurrected again and get excited about the fact that he's back. And they begin to build up hope and excitement that this Jesus now invincible, immortal. He's risen from the dead. Now we're really going to take the kingdom. Now we're really going to see the Romans kicked out of here. Now we're really going to see the fulfillment of all the prophets. Jesus is going to come to the throne and he's going to restore the kingdom. We're really rolling now. They're on a high. For a number of days, they're on a high. Things Jesus is doing miracles. He's, he's proving even to the most... Uh, difficult people to convince, like Thomas, that it's real, that they're not having, uh, you know, like they're all having some apparition at the same time. Here, feel my side. Know that I'm real. So they're on board, and things are really moving forward. And then he brings them to the mount, and he's saying, they're saying, so when, when is the kingdom? When is this all going to happen? When? Now we're on the upside. We, we've taken all the risks. We almost lost you. You're back. When are we going to go in and take Jerusalem? When's it going to happen? And we just had it read to us. Jesus says, it's not for you to know that. Actually, you can't know that. That's up to the Father. And I'm leaving again. <laughs> I know this, this may come as a shock, but I'm leaving again and I'm going to heaven and it's on you guys now. <laughs> Imagine if that was you. Put yourself in that place. You're a follower of Jesus. You've left everything. You've gone through this emotional roller coaster. You're on and up now. He's back. You're ready to take the kingdom and he says, oh, whoa, whoa, no, I'm leaving again. You guys, it's on you now. Imagine what you're feeling at that moment. And then we're hit with Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what you're to do. Here's your instructions. Here's how you go forward. Go to Jerusalem and wait. Go to Jerusalem and sit. Go to Jerusalem and just wait for something to happen and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and I know you don't know who the Holy Spirit, you really don't know the Holy Spirit. I've told you he's like me. Uh, he's he's going to be similar to me. And when he comes, he's going to give you power. He's going to give you dynamic ability to be my martyrs, to be my witnesses, to lay down your life here 
and in the, in the communities around here, in the surrounding areas, up in the mountains, as far as Judea, even to Samaria, and possibly they're thinking like to the ends of the earth. That's crazy. That's the ends of the earth to them wasn't very far away, I'm sure. They didn't have Google Maps. But they were like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And what are we to do? We're to wait. But the promise is that if they will wait, they will be empowered. They will be given an ability to do something. Now, in the, in the original language, and I'm sure your professors would do a better job of this than myself, but the original language, which comes out witnesses, is really understood in the context of martyrdom, is understood as laying your life down. Similar to the passage that was read in Mark, that if you're willing to follow me, you, if you're willing to come after me, you must be willing to take up your cross, to identify with death, to lose everything for my sake is to gain. So the whole idea is of sacrifice. You will have an ability and a power and enablement that you will be able to lay down your life for me and, and identify with the cause around the world. Since November, some, something has hit the newspapers and hit the, uh, the media and probably has your attention very strongly in the world right now. A group of people are laying their lives down for a cause. They're, they're, they're bringing people in, young people from all around the world, guys and girls all around the world for the cause of is Islamic ISIS. It's called radicalization. You heard of that term? Well, I want to, I want to bring this in because even since I thought about the idea of going over the top for a cause, even since then, this whole idea of radicalization has been impacting me. When I hear about 15 and 16-year-old girls sneaking out of their house and sneaking out of the country to go and identify with such an ugly, dark cause. What causes young men to become radicalized, so much so like the Boston bombers, that they're so willing to change their lives to go from being ordinary jocks who go to the gym and work out into full-blown jihadists, that they would see that there was a, something valuable and something worth investing in to put their lives on the line to blow up innocent people. What is that? What causes somebody to go to that level? So as I began to investigate this, I discovered that the New York Police Department in 2007 um, have developed um, a structure that shows the process of radicalization. And it goes something like this. The first step is for the individual, for some reason, to begin to self-identify with the cause, self-identification. It's usually a crisis. Maybe something happens to their family or something happens, maybe something that they feel was improper toward them. They go through a traumatic situation and they begin to identify with this Islamic concept. They begin to self-identify, not just say, 
well, I kind of admire that idea, or that's, that's an idea that breaks down the structure that I'm opposed to. They actually identify with it, and they begin to change their clothing. They begin to change their look. They begin to change their lifestyle. They begin to seek more information. The next step towards full radicalization is to become indoctrinated. They get the Koran. They, get, they, they begin to study um, not just the Koran, but teachers and moms and, and radical leaders who are teaching the jihadist way. And they begin to follow the teaching. Again, more radically changing their lifestyle to the point where they go beyond the average Islamic practices and begin to practice extreme behavior. In this indoctrination stage, everything's very quiet, but they're learning, they're being taught. In the final stage, which we unfortunately learn of them as terrorists or people who act out in a violent way, is jihadism or the declaration of a holy war where they begin to identify where they're called, where they're to go, where they're to sacrifice their life, or who they're to hit. You've got to admit, it's, it's, it's one of the most upsetting things when you hear of beheadings. It's meant to terrorize us. It's meant to frighten us. The whole world is talking about this darkness and this evil, and it seems like they're, they're attempting to shock us even more all the time. And it causes me to ask the question again. How do you get a group of young people to go over the top and lay their lives down for a few yards of soil that you're going to return? How do you get someone to so change their life that they're willing to leave the suburbs and the comfort of North America and identify with a foreign cause and lay their life down or blow themselves up and take a number of people with them? How does someone become like that? And I have to believe that in this particular case, the darkness is a very powerful force, that this is a supernatural, a spiritual phenomena, and not just a human phenomena. Evil is present, and evil becomes manifest in them. They're empowered with evil through identification, through indoctrination, and then the acting out of that evil. And I actually wanted to bring this thought to you today, and I began praying about it. I said, Lord, what a great way to identify uh, us as Christians because we could learn something from this. And you know what? I got an immediate pushback from the Holy Spirit saying, Phil, you got it backwards. The enemy, the devil himself, is not creative. He has no ability to create, be creative in his thinking and his destructive power. He's copying what I have already done. What you see in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, is the radicalization of human beings for the good. Jesus Christ was the first radical. He left heaven. He fully identified with us in every way. He became human like us. He self-identified with us. He became like us in every way. He, he came among us. He dwelt with us. He lived with us. 
yet he wasn't penetrated with our sin. He remained sinless. But then on the cross, he did identify with our sin. He died our death. He fully identified with us. He who knew no sin became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God. How much more identifying is that? And in that identification with us, he then began to lead a holy war, a righteous war, the war that would bring in the kingdom of light and the brightness to the world to change this world, to take it from darkness into light. He provided through his sacrificial death the opportunity for many to be saved. He laid down the pattern then for extremists, for radical Christians who would identify with the cause and say, I am willing to go over the top. I am willing to lay my life down for the cause of the kingdom of God. And so what did he do? Well, he began to call men and women out. Supernaturally, he would call them. They would say, who is this guy? What manner of man is this? He would call to them, and they would immediately respond. He didn't know them. He walked up to them while they were fishing. He walked up to them, or they walked up to him, and they had an, he had an impact. There was a spiritual drawing to this man, and they began to follow him. Can I say that you're here today because of that same calling? Isn't it wonderful that Christ Jesus makes this personal? This isn't a, a corporate calling or a general calling. You're not here on your parents' faith. At least I hope that you're not. That you yourself have personally identified with Christ. You felt him call you out. Can you say, I felt him call me out? Can you say that? I felt him put his hand on me and say, Phil, Jim, Bob, Mary, I want you I want you. I've touched your life. And it was usually at a crisis moment. A point when, when you were on a downturn, he reached out to you and you felt his calling. And you are here today because he's personally called you to something. You may not even know how to identify it or articulate it yet. You can't say, you can say these are the broad terms and I've come to Kingswood to kind of find my way to become educated to the call, but I don't know what that call is yet, but I know there's a call on my life for the kingdom of God. Can you say yes to that? Yes. Well, see, you're already in at least stage one. The next stage is indoctrination. He spent time with them and he taught his disciples. He said, learn my teachings, follow my ways. If you learn my teachings, it'll be like you're building your home on a solid rock. If you follow my teachings, you'll walk in the light. He taught them. He discipled them. He taught them disciplines. He celebrated disciplines with them to pray, to read the scriptures, to fellowship, to grow and worship. And they began to develop as human beings, following the likeness of Christ, following the leader, following his example, to become like him. Isn't that our goal as disciples? is to be like Christ, to imitate him, to follow his ways. I would hope that if somebody bumped into us, the fruit that would fall off the tree would be love and joy and peace, not anger and meanness and rudeness, that we are full of the love of Christ by the Holy Spirit. His fruit is in us. We're being discipled in his ways. We're learning his ways. That's always been the way. 
The Lord took a number of years with Paul, especially called. This is not a time to waste. This is a time to grow. This is a time to develop. This is a time to be ready because someday, very soon, you're going to be in the trench. Someday, very soon, you're going to be in the upper room in Jerusalem. Someday, very soon, you're going to be called to strap the explosive power of the Holy Spirit around you and go out into the multitudes and blow up as a love bomb. And the hope is that you'll take as many people with you as you can, not to terrorize the world, but to give the world hope that darkness will not win, evil will not win. Could you imagine with me an army of light, an army of young people, a new generation that will rise up and say, I'm identifying with Jesus Christ, I am a sold out disciple of Christ, and I'm willing to go over the top. I'm willing to lay my life down. I'm willing to say, I don't need money. I don't need prestige. I don't need any. I just want to serve God with all my heart, and I'm willing to lay my life down for the cause of Jesus Christ. Because there's no greater cause. All other causes are temporary. And there's some kind of pseudo-eternal promise with jihad. But we know the real truth is that if we serve the Lord here and we give ourselves fully to him, it's not just a temporary. We are changing people's lives for eternity. Can I challenge you this morning that in this this chapel, in this period of time, that you would say, Lord, I recognize that you putting your hand on my life is not a generalization that I really believe that you have put your hand on me for a reason. I'm called for a purpose. That you wouldn't look on the left or the right or someone else, but this morning it would be an opportunity for you to connect with the one who created you, the one who died. Maybe this is a risky thing to say where Soteriology is taught so eloquently, but I believe that when, I, when Jesus was on the cross, he was dying my death. He was identifying with Phil Taylor's sin. I believe he knew me because he had created me on the sixth day. And I was in the plan. And you were in the plan. It's personal with him, isn't it? Is it personal with you? Do you know that he's called you? Because if he hasn't called us, that's an awful thing to do to yourself, to lay your life down for somebody you don't even know. But he's called you, and he wants to have a personal talk with you today. Open your mind. Don't waste these years. Learn everything you can. Absorb everything you can. Pull into you everything you can because you're going to need it in the days ahead. And there's something about to happen. You are going to be placed on the front lines. God is going to call on you and he's going to ask you to do something that's going to be sacrificial, that's going to demand everything you have, that may even lead to you dying to certain things or dying to a relationship or dying to a pleasure or dying to a right 
that other people will just take for granted. You're going to say, in light of Christ, I'm going to lay down my right to enjoy that and serve him with all my heart. Guys, I'm calling you to a holy war today. I'm calling you to rise up and say, I'm going to be filled with the Holy Spirit's power. I want that sudden explosion of the Holy Spirit on my life, a continuously being filled with the Holy Spirit so that I might have the power, that I might have the authority, that I might have the ability to lay my life down as he has promised in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. I believe that that's for us today as much as it was for, the, for those 200 that gathered. It's for us here we can change this world for good. Darkness doesn't have to win. Evil doesn't have to get all the news. The light can win and we can make a difference in this world. One person at a time. But God wants to use you. But he will always follow his plant pattern. Self-identification. Discipleship. And the demand for complete surrender and sacrifice. In these, as the team comes back and we go into a time of focus, I remember being in Bible college and I remember there's peer pressure here, just like there is in school or anywhere else, that you don't want to appear to be too over the top. <laughs> I want to be the cool one to sort of find that middle ground, the status quo. Today I'm calling you out of the status quo. I'm calling those of you who have identified with this message and it's hit you right here and you go, yeah! I'm calling you to step forward and go over the top here today, to come out, find a place to kneel and pray and just say, Lord, I don't really care about my left or the right or who's flanking me. It's me and you. I'm identifying you. That's the beginning of radicalization. When you're prepared to let your reputation go and follow him all the way. I call you today to spend some time with the Lord and allow that process to deepen in your life. Lord bless you and thank you for the honor of sharing my heart with you today.